Clubhouse's coverage of the seventh episode of the third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This one is called Marvelous Radio. This is Paul. This is Caroline. So much radio. Yeah, so we called it right in the last podcast when we said that, you know, this seems like Shy is awfully exhausted. We might be coming to an end here. And just like that, boop, we're done. You know, with this season running eight episodes and the previous one running 10, it makes me wonder if there was some need to economize on the episode count. This episode had a lot of verbal hijinks, but it also had some big moments and some new ideas for Midge. Although she is using her voice for whatever she's being paid for, eventually she develops this idea of being careful what her voice says, given to her by her dad. Do you suppose that this is a a moment of foreshadowing that starts to to shape how her act works? Like her, it would be too strong to say mentor with Lenny Bruce, but he was definitely a you know First Amendment proponent in in a very huge way in that in that era. Does this mean that Midge is going to take on causes and and things like that with her platform? I do believe that because she had this experience running around and doing all these radio ads, which I have to tell you, some of them were so cringy. I mean, the, all, all this, all the stuff with the women's products and everything, everything was like, oh my God. Rest in peace. That, not even, I mean, that didn't even bother me. It That's was hilarious It though. was all the things about like being a happy housewife and, you know, make your husband happy and all that stuff that was like, it was making me squirm in my seat. I definitely disliked they were playing it obviously for comedy with all of the running around and the silliness and everything but i think that they did a good job of sort of setting the stage for her to get to this point of being like wait a minute i am saying a lot of things and people are listening and hang on what am i saying exactly so i i think it would be very logical for her to consider what she's saying in her act and start thinking about you know am i saying things that are like helpful hurtful you know things i believe in or things that are just funny you know what exactly am i saying here is that projecting some some modern sensibilities in terms of quote unquote privilege and platform and things onto an era where there, I think a lot of the performers were more like her quote unquote husband on the political ad, you know, just hired guns, doing their job, going, feeding their family, and that's it. Well, even now, I think that the majority of people are like that. But I do think that there's some people who do stop and think, hang on a minute, like I have some space here. I should go ahead and use it for something I believe in. I mean, I, I think to to your point, we talk a lot about in our own house, Betty White, and all of the different things that she did in her lifetime, including demanding that a, a person of color be allowed to stay and be a part of a show when the, the rest of the deciding parties were against it. But she, she pushed the issue and said like, no, and this was back during civil rights. So if you have the power and you have the opportunity you should take it for sure. She even took the chance on like the the spinoff from the Golden Girls, the Golden Palace, and they have a bunch of episodes that have Betty White driven causes. They have an entire episode, Paul, where one of the storylines is about a greyhound racer 
and the man is going to take the Greyhound to the racetrack and it sheds light on the fact that if they lose just a couple of races, they're they're put to death. And they go through this whole thing where 50,000 Greyhounds are put to death every year and, and all this stuff. And Betty, as Rose, counsels him into why not work with local rescues and also, I mean, it's like a whole thing. And we all know that Betty White is very protective of animals and into animal causes. And so, yeah, I mean, I think looking at her and seeing how she is revered as someone who has such a big heart and and used her platform correctly, I do think that it makes sense. I don't I don't even and, and that wasn't like modern sensibilities. You know, that was like happening way back when. So there's always a place for you to say what you think and stand up for what's right. That ties in to to Abe's story in this episode because I mean Midge has she's a lot of screen time, but that boy that's really what her her time boils down to. It does, and I think that it's setting us up for her thinking about where her career goes next and what happens generally with her time next, whether it's on stage or off stage. That there's something to her thinking about how she spends her time and what she's saying. I'm okay with that being the setup for the finale. I wonder what was in Abe's article that he's so proud of. We know that seeing his friends play, his friends, the the former communist and theatrical academic and smart guy, Asher, propelled him to write this play. We know that he thinks pop entertainment, such as Bye Bye Birdie's crap, we're pretty sure he doesn't think much of Midge's style of entertainment either. So I wonder what was in that article if the two family members can see eye, eye to eye or, or you know you know what I'm driving at? I do. I think that the Bye Bye Birdie conversation goes back to just what we were talking about, though. You know, you have a platform, you have an audience sitting in front of you. Why just sing and dance? You know, why not have an actual message and a cause behind it? I think is more what Abe's people don't like that, argument though. with that. <laughs> that doesn't sell tickets. There's an audience for everything, for one. And for two, I think that there's plenty of musicals that do have some sort of message layered in there. So just because they're singing about it doesn't necessarily mean they're not telling you something. Layered. You're right. I mean, I think that few people enjoy just being spoken to in a boring kind of way, if that's how you're trying to you know, portray it. I don't think that that's fun. But I think, you know, if you're seeing a character having a lot of conflict and dealing with something that it can still be entertaining. You watch plenty of movies and TV shows where they're having some sort of conflict. You know, maybe if someone just sat there and read it to you, yes, it would be boring. But because of the action and because you care about the character you get kind of sucked into their cause. When the lesson, if there is one, is presented in such a way that I don't even know I'm being taught it, Yeah, that's the only way I'll accept a lesson coming out of entertainment. If it, Because there's plenty of it that it's like beating you over the head. You're right. You should feel bad about the way you feel and take our point of view uh, moving forward. That's turning into a, a lot of entertainment these days. I'm going to go back and say the Golden Palace example, you know, the show itself was still funny that episode where she was talking about the greyhounds and the rescues and everything. I learned a lot. I didn't know that they put greyhounds to sleep after just like a couple races if they don't win. I didn't know the number was 50,000 dogs are put to sleep just greyhounds every year. You know, it, you're right. It was in the package of Rose Nyland though that I could hear that and accept it and not feel like I was being beat over the head with it, but more just like this is something that this character Rose cares about and that's why we're following her story right 
right now. There's ways that are entertaining that make people think that are still very important messages. And there's ways where you're right, where you can get too sharp and you can feel a little bit like I need a little room here to, to kind of ingest this as partially entertainment as well. Unless you're going for just like a guest speaker or something. Yeah, and sure. in that case, you sign up, for be it. blunt. Right. But if it's, if it's in the package of a, of a TV show or a movie or a, or a play that's supposed to have an element of recreational fun to it, then, you know, I understand what you're saying that for the most part, you want that to still be a part of the story. So what do you think was in his, his article? See, when you called Asher a communist, I kind of bristled because he said he was unclear about exactly what he was sort of being accused of and what was reality to me. What I was guessing was that Abe was probably trying to give some more explanation, some more color kind of commentary behind, you know, what the consequences are and stuff like that. I mean, that's a total shot in the dark. I don't know if someone were to write something about cancel culture, but they took an individual who had been canceled. Then they sort of told more of the personal side of it. Mm. That's how I was taking it. And somehow that that would be more relatable to people and more palatable and maybe they could see, you know, how it really affects people. That's what I was thinking. I might be so wrong. I think that's a pretty good idea because, you know, when he checked in with Asher about moving forward with it and and Asher objecting to having so much of his private details out in the public forum Mm -hmm. um, and he didn't ask for him to try to revive his career, et cetera, or his life, I think even was what he said. Right. That implied that it was some sort of retelling or explanation of what had happened from a more personal point of view. Right. When you have the removal of of your perspective due to time on on these events like the Red Scare and hopefully to some extent like cancel culture at some point in the future, you look back at it and you're like, wow, people were really batshit crazy right then, you know, the way that they ruined people's lives about about these things. And in this case, it sounds like Asher was probably a card-carrying communist in college or something like that. And and he went on to have probably 20 years of career. That college affiliation got found out and someone ruined his life because of it. That's what it sounded like to me. But I mean, I don't know. And I mean, I think we have to say a big disclaimer to our listeners that, you know, obviously there are issues that are 100 percent worth canceling people from having a platform to be able to speak in front of other people or persuade anyone on our dime, basically. So I understand that cancel culture has its place. Okay, that's fine. But in this case, for Asher, that would have been like, what, in the 30s? I don't know. I mean, a lot of a lot of people go through things in in belief systems and stuff in in college that they when they get exposure to adulthood, they're right. like, "Whoa, that doesn't work in real life," and, right. and they move on. Well, and like you know, if anyone is watching the being the Ricardos, you know, that's basically Lucy's situation is that it was like her father or her grandfather who was actually a communist, and I apologize for not getting that exactly right. And she just wanted to make him proud. So she just basically signed up too, but never voted as a communist, never did anything as a communist or anything like that, never attended a meeting, never did anything like that, but just signed up basically to make someone else proud, you know, of her. And that followed her into her career many years later. I did not know that. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what Abe's... His future is. I mean, he needed a break here. He went to his... 
he went back to Colombia and said goodbye. Yeah. Do you think that we needed that? Did we need to have this sort of very formal leaving of the university? I mean, the scene was amusing. The way that Tony acts is always magnetic. The way that he slips in, the the men in the classroom who have no business becoming mathematicians, et cetera, et cetera. That's all great. The scene itself, without the full context of the whole season or Abe's entire story, at this point for this viewer, does feel extra. I'm counting on the Paladinos to give me that extra context to be like, okay, he needed that clean break, that... I'm I'm not an academic anymore, at least not in the sense of being a, a mathematician. I'm something else now. Yeah, it's almost like he had to go and try it on and feel uncomfortable in his own shoes there and then realize like, yeah, I've grown past this situation. I can't be here anymore. Sometimes, you know, we talk about a lot that people ask kids all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what adults sort of figure out is it's really more of a what do I not want to be when I grow up it's a it's a series of checking things off the list that you know you don't like and you don't want to be and that's kind of what Abe was doing you know going back and being like hang on a second let me see do I want to continue to even think about this job as something I could be nope it doesn't feel like a fit now I can like walk away from it you know I agree with you I don't know that I needed all that I don't know if I needed all the running through the halls and stuff it was funny it was totally funny but again we only have one more episode to the end of the season and you're right it is you know a shorter season than the previous one so I was kind of like why are we spending so much time time on this and on the flip side the shy baldwin tour being ended was like a one sentence thing and we just ended it you know with no other explanation besides really shy was tired oof there was there was that felt uneven to me the amount of time we spent on some things and then how other things were just like kind of done but on the flip side at least rose and abe's stories had a, a, a certain parallel to so i totally agree i could have used with a cleaner break from the tour Definitely. The drama of ending the tour, thanks to the star's exhaustion, whatever else might have gone into that decision, since we know the background that the rest of the world might not have known. I think that would have been some decent TV. I think so. My guess is that, you know, there there were certain guest stars like like we had Sterling K. Brown that, you know, that you just have them for X amount of time and then that's it. So some of this stuff feels very abrupt because you only have that that guest star for like this scene or whatever. And then that's mm. it. And then they got to go and it's over. So I, that's what I'm going to kind of chalk it up to and why it was being handled that way. But otherwise, you know, I, I was happy to see that Abe and Rose and Midge were back at Moish and Shirley's only because, again, had they just like moved on from that, we would have been shaking our head the same kind of way of being like, well, they just sort of left that whole situation. I was glad to see like, no, we're still going to have to live in this situation and kind of figure it out a little bit longer. It gives us a great opportunity to have, you know, so many characters interact with each other. You know, you could you could write off the Maisels as a highly annoying person, has these personality traits that you just couldn't see yourself living with. At least I couldn't. But on the other hand, they are highly generous people that have no, I mean, maybe with Midge, but not a huge stake in their former family members, their well-being, you know, like, 
right. They don't owe anything to Abe and, no. and Rose, and yet here they are. See, and I, I know you're saying highly annoying, but, like, I'm kind of shaking my head. Like, yeah, they like Bye Bye Birdie. I like Bye Bye Birdie. Our kids love Bye Bye Birdie. Like, they're representing a much more normal section of the pie than anyone's really kind of giving them credit for. Enjoying musicals, enjoying, you know, each other, laughing, joking, having a household full of music and TV watching and cooking and all that stuff. Like, it's not that weird. Like, I, I, I don't know. I know it's louder than maybe other households, but I just don't. I think that they're actually grown on me quite a bit. And you're right. Like, the, their generosity, comparatively, I, I've fallen way out of love with Abe and Rose compared to when they lived in their own house because I find them to be super intolerant, very judgy. The things they like to do and the way they like to spend their time is far more foreign to me. Rose sitting alone drinking a cup of tea in like a really high end tea room situation wasn't more familiar to me than going to a Broadway show and watching Bye Bye Birdie. Like that would have been a much more fun way to spend my time. Well, speaking of Rose, her story also includes revisiting something that isn't going to happen anymore with with Ben. Yeah, a lot of retreading of ground. Uh huh. And then what of this reminder of her of her qualities as a as a matchmaker? See, okay, here's the thing. When you said this thing isn't going to happen with Benjamin, I, I'm kind of like, mm, I think actually there was something else there. She was apologizing and doing all that. Paul, that wasn't a real apology in any form or fashion. She was, she was being all, oh, I'm so embarrassed to have wasted your time. You don't go to a man's work, <laughs> much, much less a doctor's work at a hospital and interrupt his day to say you're sorry for wasting his time. Like, no, 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 no. He's trying. She's trying to get him back in the fold. There's do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's more going on here. So, yeah, I think Benjamin's absolutely coming back. Have you met the Paladinos? Christopher, Luke. Rotate them in and out. So we got Lenny Bruce, we get Joel, we get Benjamin. Like, we're just going to keep rotating these dudes out. Here comes Benjamin again. We've got Zachary Levi for another guest spot. I see them having more of a conversation again in, in eight. Maybe an additional chance for her to get back with him. That's what I see. And Abe and Rose most certainly see a four-story townhome as the next step for them, where they can go live. Well, since I've only made incorrect predictions this this season i'll say nope (laughs) i don't think you've only made incorrect the only ones i remember were all wrong no i don't believe that i just know the paladinos i feel like and guess what i could be dead wrong i could be dead wrong all this but they just have certain things that they like to do and i think having benjamin come back in at least for the finale at least to create some sort of cliffhanger of like what happens? Is she going to, like we said, have had this tour and had this whole experience and then we're starting to move into a different line of work for her? And that was just that snapshot we talked about in our last episode of like, that was a time when I did that. I don't know. I, not that I think she's giving up stand up in any form or fashion. <laughs> she might be out of the voiceover business. So. <laughs> I don't know. But it might look like, yeah, I mean, I don't if, if you ruin a live spot like that, I don't know. That might it be- might get around. You know, but I feel for her as podcasters, you know, when we put something out and we publish it, I mean, people always get nervous if there's going to be anything like live. And we've done radio before where things are live and you think like, oh my gosh, did I really just say that? It's exhilarating, but it's also like you have to watch out, right? Because it's not like you can take it back. And especially if you're reading someone else's words like that. 
Yeesh. That mm. would that would break me out in sweat. Well, I'm glad you you gave me the the truth behind Rose's duplicitous visit to the hospital. Did you honestly think she took time out of she her said, life? She said, "Have a good life." You know, yeah, I just took it like it was. Like fake apologies, man. It's fake apologies. Women. <laughs> it's a way that you can reopen the door and and like have another conversation with him. Plus, it also, she like softened him up so that an, another conversation could be had. She can't, whatever it is she's going to propose to happen, she can't come at it cold. And man, the easiest way to come at somebody is with an apology. I'm so sorry it's been so long since we talked. Now, here's the thing I actually want to say. <laughs> you know, like it's just, yeah, that's, this is my guess. I could be dead wrong, but this is my guess. Rose definitely felt reinvigorated by her friend saying how great she was as a matchmaker and making her feel like she was like emboldened to be able to like go back to Benjamin and be like, hang on, maybe, maybe this is a good match. And plus Benjamin was very complimentary about Midge. He was like, she's a, the perfect kind of weird. She was great for me. <laughs> like that kind of thing. And he has a lot of money. And, a, and still owns the four story townhome. <sighs> It's still there. But you know what was so crazy? No. Guess what other house is on the market and or going to be on the market? Midge's old place. Midge's old place. So I think we're going to have a four-story townhome option versus a own-your-own-apartment option. Do-do-do. That trip to her old place has only got to be to reintroduce it back into the Weissman's world. Yeah. And as an option for Midge. As like, what's going to happen next for her? They told us $35 a week. I looked up the cost of the, the apartment. That in no way, no way covers it. Obviously, they would have to have like a lot more things going on. Like every adult would have to get a job like Abe and Rose and her and Susie. Everyone would have to get paying jobs in order to be able to do anything with this apartment. I don't see why they would bring it up. Again, like don't go visit Benjamin. You don't go visit your old apartment. And it be... Coming on the market, you know, about right. to be coming on the market. Like, it's all, it's all too easy. Maybe Benjamin, the super, super rich Benjamin buys her the apartment. Now, before we go to the Susie line. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's a doozy. big deal. <laughs> we have to touch on Joel and the fact that A, we didn't see this quote unquote club and B, we didn't see any trace of quote unquote May. And this is a couple months on from the big blow up and, and et cetera, et cetera. What do you suppose we read into that? I think we read into it that at least we know there's no May. Uh, so you're saying the lack of Joel, the lack of the club and the lack of May. What do I think of that? Well, and you could add in the fact that he's letting Archie crash at his place. Okay. So Archie crashing at his place. I was bummed out that the Archie imaging situation had gotten way, way worse. Um, the penny pan face. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of bored by those two. I don't, I, there's so many other interesting storylines. The Sophie Susie thing, like a thousand percent overshadowed everything with that. Well, then we can just move on to that because Joel was just like teeny tiny in this yeah, episode. Yeah, he really was. And I guess I just, I don't know. I just didn't feel a thousand percent invested. I mean, I was more invested in Astrid's baby and the bris and, and everything that was going on there than I was with Joel and Archie. Well, I mean, Joel they was probably, in charge of rounding up more Jews. That was kind of funny. Yeah. 
Even <laughs> you just said that, you made me pause. I was like, <sighs> like I'm just so, quoting the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm just quoting the show. Yeah, but it hurts my heart. It was it was very funny when they were like, "Then this is the milkman," and like all that. I mean, it was it was good stuff. I loved the betting on the on who was going to go down. Speaking of betting, Paul Daly, as we move over to Sue's. Do you think that the time frame with which we saw Susie ramp up her betting mm-hmm. and gambling, does that coincide and in, in, in its peak, you know, where she finally runs out of luck, right? Mm-hmm. Does that peak at the same rate that her time with Sophie does? And is it are they meant to kind of be analogs of each Ooh, other? Ooh, that's a really good observation. I didn't take it that way, but she's in over her head in both scenarios. So yeah, I think that there has to be some sort of pattern there. And that Sophie was a gamble all along. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the play was a gamble. Put that on your plate, Paul. <laughs> oh, it's there. My plate is full of it. God, this play. Oh my God. I was dying. I was absolutely dying when they would keep coming back and she just was like getting worse and worse more and more into her character. I was like, uh, like, stop the bleeding. Like, I can't take this any longer. It was heart wrenching. I felt for Everyone. I felt for Gavin. I felt for Susie. I felt for the poor third actor that was on the stage. What a horrendously embarrassing experience for everyone. Because they were all laughing. I mean. That's a hard read, you know, because that's like, what, what's that bad attention that kids get? Like, the, the, where they yeah, clown around. It's called bad attention. And they, and they, but they get the positive reinforcement of people laughing at their antics. So they do more. They, they think that that's the way to be. And so Sophie kept going. Well, I mean, but I don't think the audience didn't know. I mean, it seemed like the story was not that unfamiliar to people. Susie didn't know it, but it didn't seem like other people, like Midge knew the story. Midge knew what the play was supposed to be. Like, no, I think they were laughing because you're right. Someone was like clowning and like completely went off script and was like acting a fool. I mean, Gavin was like holding his head in the background. Like, I don't think anyone didn't know she wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing, but they were just like witnessing this bonkers behavior. And she was just acting so silly and crazy. I think they were like, well, I bought a Broadway show ticket, but I got like a stand-up comedian. I'll take it, I guess. Well, they bought a Sophie Lennon ticket. Right, right. She has a fan base. They made sure to point that out early on and that the fan base could fill the theater. So maybe they're willing to watch her do whatever. I don't think that you can pull that off night after night, but (laughs) I think, you know, for what it was... I'm with Susie, though, about the whole idea of just completely piking out and just acting like getting angry at Susie was such crap. I mean, I was so angry at Sophie for all of that, making her feel so bad when really it was Sophie. She just lost her nerve and she just went into like an old pattern, you know? On the one hand, it's predictable that the talent would blame the manager like that. Like, you're supposed to keep me from making these decisions. Well, in a way, she is. But Susie stood her ground. She, she And she was 100% right. You brought me here to do this, you know, because no one else would. You know, what, what position was I supposed to be in? I was, this was my only role was to make this happen. It's predictable that she would have done that, but it's also kind of thrilling to see when you get around on someone that had been so indomitable, you know, that the, 
that her will and her strength and everything that she projected that that Susie had been cowering to and bowing down to this whole time, she finally just just squashed it, you know, and and she made it solid points. She won that argument. Oh, I think she's done. I, I think she'd 100% oh, sure. walked away from Sophie, which she had to. My God, again, remember, she was locked in for five plus, you know, years here. No, 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 no. It, it was 100% right to walk away and 100% right to realize that, you know, Sophie was toxic all day long and was never not going to be. And that was that's just the end of it. It's it's terrible. What a lesson for Susie to have to learn. I know for the sake of the show, they had Midge like come out onto the sidewalk, but... <laughs> I'll just say this crazy look at his eyes. I would have stayed in the little area between the two sets of double doors. I would not have been standing out there witnessing all of this for sure. I know for the sake of the show, it's much better drama, especially to have Sophie be able to point at her and say, you did this all because of her and all this stuff. I loved near to the end of the season, have Susie again reiterate how much she believes in Midge and how much she believes in her talent and having that entire speech about, you know, just what a wonderful person Miriam is compared to Sophie. You know, it was a good way to sort of gear us up for the finale, I think. Are you sad at all that Sophie Lennon is not likely to be a part of anything else? Unless she's coming as some sort of saboteur. That's what I was going to ask you, actually, because <laughs> she does not seem like a not vengeful person. In this day and age, there would have been phones recording that entire argument. Oh, yeah. But there were at least a lot of people that would have recognized at least Sophie on that sidewalk. Oh, God, yeah. That was such a small, slow trickle of people leaving the theater. That's not usually the way it is. I mean, it's usually like like opening, you know, the floodgates and people come flowing out. Yeah, all the people the, of the entire theater, in theory, would have seen this. They didn't really show that, but yeah. that's how it would have played out. This show doesn't always take the steps that we think would be a logical next step. But for the next episode to have some amount of fallout in the paper and then Susie worrying about her longevity and her career as a manager, further blackballing that might result of crossing Sophie. Because remember, that was a thing before. Sophie yes. did that to Midge before. Right. It would be a concern about making her it life makes harder. Sense. I, I mean, I, I think that that's a fair concern. I hope that, you know, with Nikki and Frank and having some some just sort of, I don't know, some amount of backing. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know if Sophie goes back to Harry. I don't know how this goes down. And I do not have any faith, actually, that they're going to tell us. You know, it might just be that we get nothing for the rest of this season. And in season four, Sophie rears her head. Mm -hmm. You know, we may see nothing at all about it in this finale episode, but also it is the finale. So it would make a lot of sense to do something very destructive, very catastrophic from coming from the Sophie camp. So Midge has to sleep with Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the last thing that Susie's dealing with is this whole mom situation. And it was interesting that brought that up because it made me be like, why? Why would we have this little vignette back with her mom and back with her sister and having this whole conversation? Why have this? Possibilities without Sophie taking so much time now moving forward, then maybe she would have to split time back home. 
having Chester and Jackie also live at the apartment, I think I to me, I'm smelling some sort of layering of like a pressure cooker for Susie. You've got this terrible career bomb situation happening. You have I mean, Chester's literally staring at her in the apartment. You have her mom now in a nursing home and family stuff needing to be dealt with. I feel like Susie is ripe to be like very, very stressed out. You know, I didn't even add it all together, but yeah, some of those things, maybe you just can't live there anymore <laughs> if Chester's going to be around. But what does that mean? That creates a whole new problem. Do you kick out Jackie and Chester? I don't know. They already have like handshake agreements. Where are they supposed to go? So yeah, you're right. What does this mean though for for Susie? Well, and you add in the I, the fact that the man that plays Jackie died after the season three was produced. So his story can't proceed into season four. So what, what happens now with Susie is a great question. I, to me, there's an awful lot of stress going on here. And I do see that Midge's career path could suffer a little bit. Maybe she needs to get out of the sector that Sophie has a lot of sway in. And somehow, like we said, maybe move over to writing or she has this potential for like finding a cause or something like that. Like there seems like there's going to be a, like a little pivot for her, maybe not long-term at all, but just for some little short period of time here where it would be smarter and safer for her to kind of get away from where Sophie could have a lot to do. And that also, it kind of gives Susie like a little bit of a break from the managerial standpoint. If it wasn't a TV show and it was a real person, TV shows have things like sets and shit like that, that they have, that they, that when they have them, they're going to use them, you know, whether or not it makes sense for the story. But if it was a real person, then something like going back to Vegas, where she was pretty well received and she got on well with the casino's manager. Yeah. Why wouldn't that be a thing for, for a person like her? You know? Yeah. For, I mean, there's plenty of stages, you know, and plenty exactly. of different sized theaters and stuff like that, that. There's a million of them out there. You're right. I mean, it seems like that could be a possible option for her. I don't see her going that way. No. I mean, I see them staying in New York. <laughs> yeah. But, but you're right. If she was a real person, that would be an option. She liked Miami. She got a friend there. She does. She has Lenny as a support system. There's a lot of ways that this could go. I mean, I'm very excited for the finale. I really want to see what they're going to do with all of these characters. Uh, again, Abe and Rose, less interested in. Joel could care less, really, about what he's doing. Apologize to May. That's all we care about, Joel. As always, Midge and Susie are the people we want to follow. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd like to know what you think of the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.